sustainability is a way of thinking, it's a way of doing things. It's not something new that we decided that we needed to do. It's something that we've always been doing. And we started looking at this a year and a half ago. Said, you know, we, we pretty much got all this covered that we should go forward and, and do it because it shows that we care about the environment and we care about our social responsibility and we're committed to it. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. This is episode 039 of the Flux Capacitor. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face but using Zoom. This is the second podcast with a company recently awarded CEA's Sustainable Electricity designation. Now more than ever, our sector needs to ensure sustainability is considered in all business decisions, whether it be partnerships with local communities, relationships with Indigenous partners, or developing innovative solutions to climate change. Sustainable electricity is integral to our country's future. Today on the podcast, we celebrate our 10th recipient of the Sustainable Electricity brand designation. Newfoundland Power, a Fortis company based in St. John's, has made sustainability a priority. I invited Gary Murray, the president and CEO of Newfoundland Power, to discuss a wide range of issues, from weather challenges to managing during a pandemic, and especially his company's sustainability efforts and priorities. And, like many previous podcasts, we close the conversation with a book recommendation, in this case, with a bit of a climate spin. Here's my discussion with Gary, recorded in early July 2021. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Glad you were able to join. Thanks a lot, Francis. I'm really glad to be with you here today as well. We want to talk about the sustainable electricity brand designation that Newfoundland Power now has. But before we got to that, I thought maybe we could start off with just a little bit about Newfoundland Power uh, and kind of where it, where uh, Newfoundland Power came from, Newfoundland Power uh, serves and where it serves. Because I know this, there's more than one company in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, and but but yours is the yours is the the principal distributor. That's if I forgot that right. So maybe over to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about the company itself. We are you know primarily an integrated utility. We do have generation, transmission, and, and distribution, and we only service the island portion of, of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, you know, we've been in operation for over 135 years. I can probably in a minute or so give you a little bit of a little brief history, so you kind of get yeah. a perspective there. Sure. Uh, but yeah, we are primarily the distribution company on the island of Newfoundland, and uh, Newfoundland Hydro, I guess, is the crown corporation. They were what I would call the the bulk transmission, bulk generation company on the island. Right. So you know, we have assets of about you know, $1.2 billion here on the island. And in our distribution assets and transmission, we got almost 13,000 kilometers of distribution and transmission line with about 2,100 of that being uh, being transmission. And obviously we got, we got about 131 substations and some small hydro plants that are more of a his, from our historical past. Okay. And like I said, I'll explain that in a second. 
And, uh, you know, we purchase 93% of our uh, energy supply from hydro and produce the remaining part ourselves. You know, the other thing I'd say about us is we served 27,000, or I didn't even say that right, 271,000 customers here on the island. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we operate, I'd say, in one of the harshest climates in North America is kind of how I like to characterize it. And we have a very broad geography across the island. Uh, you know, like if I was to hop in my vehicle here now, I'm in St. John's on the, on the East Coast. It would pretty much take me nine hours to drive to the western end of our territory in Port of Basque. Right. So it's a, it's a vast geography as well. Yeah. You mentioned the climate, but you probably get more radial ice in, uh, on the island of Newfoundland than I think anywhere else in North America. Yeah, it's, it can be hit and miss. Depends on, on the year. You know, luckily we haven't had too much in, in, in recent years, but uh, probably the last big ice storm we had was in 2010 and I think 2014. Uh, but when they when you get them, they can be bad. Uh, you know, we kind of go through kind of a bit of three seasons here. I guess we have in the fall of the year we're exposed to hurricanes, right? And then right. we have the, we have the winter months where we have. Uh, you know, we really have a lot of high wind through the winter and snow. Yep. And then typically in the spring months, we're exposed to the freezing rains. And uh, that's usually when you think winter's over is when the freezing rain kind of <laughs> is at its highest risk. So it's been, I guess, two decades now that, that you've been um, at uh, Newfoundland Power. Uh, what are some of the changes that, that you've seen in the company uh, in the past 20 years? Because it's, I mean, clearly we're in a different world today than we were in the year 2000. Yeah, you know, I'd say in the twenty in, the, in that twenty years, I mean, there's been a lot of technology changes. Uh, you know, when I first came to Newfoundland Power twenty years ago, I, I came from. Prior to that, I was in did some design build hydroelectric work, and so I never really had what you call pure utility experience. But I was on the generation side. Okay. Uh, but when I came here, yeah, I mean, a lot of the technology was. Uh, have been installed 40, 50 years ago and was still in place. And I think the sector in general didn't go through a lot of innovation in that 40, 50 year period. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the last 10 years, especially, uh, the amount of products and, and innovation that's out there for utility sector has certainly grown exponentially. Right. And so t today, and then, and then looking from, from now out into the future, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that are facing the company and, and maybe biggest opportunities as well? You know, I'd say uh, one of the biggest opportunities looking forward is, um, is electrification. Okay. Uh, you know, if you look out now, I mean, you know, we're not sure we're moving to electric vehicles as a society. And, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit slow over the next three to five years. But I think after that, it will start to, to pick up. Right. Uh, so I think that's a good opportunity. And, you know, we're trying to understand right now is uh, what's the grid going to look like in 10, 15 years time yep. when electric vehicles become uh, more prominent in, in out there. So that is certainly one thing that we're looking at. And, you know, as a utility, that also brings uh, challenges in the sense that and like here in Newfoundland in the future, you know, we're kind of have, uh, we're going to be a little bit energy rich when Muskrat Falls comes online. We're going to have excess energy. Mm -hmm. but we're not going to have a lot of capacity. We're going to be tight on capacity. Okay. So, you know, as we move through electrification, we will have defined 
creative ways and innovative ways to try and manage our demand so that, you know, that doesn't become an issue uh, with the electrification. Right. And so, and so what is, I mean, what are, what, what is that potentially going to look like? And maybe for, maybe for the listener that, that may not understand the difference between be, what is, you know, the difference between being energy rich, but, but uh, capacity poor, what is, what does that, what does that actually mean? Yeah, well, the energy basically means, you know, when you, when you consume energy, you, you burn so much energy per day. So you're looking for kilowatt hours throughout the day. But, you know, in the evening time, when you come home and you, you know, you turn up your heat, because most of Newfoundland is electric heat. Okay. You turn up your heat and you turn on, you know, the oven and all everything else in the house, then it causes a, a demand in what is your, your full capacity. It's like the capacity that you want to draw on the system. So in the day, you're constantly drawing energy from the system. What we refer to peak is what is your demand going to be on the system? So we're trying to control that demand so that when everybody comes home at five o'clock in the evening in the future, uh, that you're able to meet it. Because uh, uh, if you can't meet it, you know, you have to find ways to kind of flatten the curve and spread that demand out over different hours. Right. And people aren't plugging in a whole lot of electric vehicles yet, but they will be a decade from now. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, one thing that probably could be in place is that, you know, you probably have a a charger that, say, the utility may control. And, you know, during those peak hours, uh, your charger won't be able to come on. It'll only be able to come on outside of those peak hours, that type of thing. Right. Right. So we've got a we've got a government in Ottawa that that uh, has now passed legislation for for net zero by by 2050. It sounds as though the the challenge that you're going to be facing um, in Newfoundland and Labrador is 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 not a, a, a lack of uh, of renewable energy. It's going to be a capacity to be able to meet that rising demand. That's correct. Yeah. 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 Definitely, it's going to be that. And and you know the, the challenge with renewables. Um, is that, you know, renewables, we don't refer to them as firm energy because if the wind is not blowing, right. then it's not producing energy, so it's not available. So, you know, uh, a wind turbine, for example, would not be good firm capacity. But, you know, in conjunction with something like a battery mm-hmm. or something like that, then you can firm up more of that energy. So it's making sure that you've got the right balance there to meet all those demands. Gotcha. So tw- meeting twenty those twenty fifty targets is going to depend upon some new technology, and uh, it sounds as though the, the challenge is is one where we may not today have the technology that it's going to be required, but but you do know what the challenge is from a, a storage standpoint and an, an intermittency standpoint, I guess. Yeah, that would be a good way to put it. I mean, uh, you know, when we look forward, and we all always have to be doing that is. As you know, what could the future look like? We can't predict it exactly, but at least we have an idea of where it's going and the types of things that we need to do and put in place. And, you know, as time moves on, these are challenges that other utilities across North America will face as well. So, you know, we're certain that, you know, the, the uh, industry will step up to the challenge and meet those, meet those requirements. Yeah. 
Uh, what are some of the, the particular challenges you have that, that, you, that you would have in Newfoundland that you wouldn't see elsewhere? I, I'd assume one of them is, is the, the lack of, of some of the interconnections that we'll see in some jurisdictions. Newfoundland's now connected to the North American grid, but it is it's limited in terms of those connections. Those and and, and are there does that does that raise other uh, uh, particular challenges and specific challenges to the island? Yes, it does. Yeah, like if you go back, you know, in the past uh, before we were interconnected, you know, we were truly a, an islanded electrical system. Uh, we weren't connected anything to the mainland, so right. all of the generation was was purely on the island of Newfoundland. And we had to to manage the system within the island. Right. Um, you know, now that we're connected to Nova Scotia and Muskrat Falls, most of our power is going to be coming from Muskrat Falls in the winter time. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the summer months, in the spring, summer, early fall, say, we have enough generation on the island to to meet our demands. But in the winter months, we would we would rely upon the power from from Labrador. So, you know, it is 1100 kilometers away. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the reliability is, is very critical because um, if it's not available in the winter months, for some reason or not, we would be we would be short here on, on the island. Uh, and, you know, our connection to Nova Scotia at that time of year, they're peaking as well. So, mm. uh, you know, it's uncertain as to how much power it might available over there. So yeah, that's always going to be a challenge moving forward is the reliability of the line. And that is something that is being reviewed fairly extensively right now at the moment, actually by the public utilities board here. Hmm. And, uh, you know, what are the needs moving forward? Is there a need for some type of backup save uh, as a result because of the, uh, of that reliability issue? Right. Well, speaking of reliability, just before we went into, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, in Newfoundland, you experienced one of the worst winters in, in, in history. Um, I've, I've heard uh, the storm that you experienced was described as a hurricane within a snowstorm. How did the team respond to that winter storm? And, and also, I wonder, has it changed your, your practices for future weather events? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a storm. It was a pretty epic one. It was referred to here as uh, Snowmageddon. I don't know if you've probably heard that terminology <laughs> yep, in the media. Yep. Um, before I get, get into your questions, I'll, I'll just probably uh, refresh everybody a little bit on, on a few of the stats from the storm. But it was a, a big blizzard. It was lasted. It was a blizzard that lasted for 20, 24 hours. And for about 12 hours in there, we had really extreme high winds within that within that period. You know, I think in the Bonavista area, which is on the the northeast coast it got up to like 165 kilometers for 12 hours you know peaking wow. and in st john's it was over 135. uh you know we uh the storm started on a friday evening i remember and and we had most power restored to customers by by sunday just before supper time sunday i guess and we actually got hit by a second storm uh which made it worse. And then, you know, we were another day or so uh, recovering from that to get it fully back. Mm. But it was one of those storms where there was a lot of snow. I think in St. John's, we had up to 90 centimeters of snow. Wow. uh, Which is an amazing amount of snow. 
And uh, that was the biggest issue for us was that uh, was just getting out to respond to the outages. So for the first 24 hours, we really couldn't do anything to deal with the outages because we just couldn't get around the city. And, uh, you know, that was the challenge for us. So once we were able to get out and our, get our crews out and work with the municipalities and that to give us some priority snow clearing, we were actually very quickly got the power back. Because uh, the unique thing about the storm is that our system held up really well. Like we yeah. had virtually no damage on our system. Uh, we never lost a single pole in the whole storm. Uh, you know, the outages was probably from, you know, the phases or the lines uh, hitting together and, and some tree stuff. So, you know, in terms of the, the storm itself and our system, uh, it held up well and there probably wasn't a lot of takeaways there from us. Uh, one thing that we found was unique was the challenge of getting employees back and forth to work. Okay. You know, we were anticipating struggles with that. So we actually did book some hotel rooms and put some people up the night before to make sure that employees could, you know, leave work and go to the hotel or leave the hotel and go to work type of thing. But even with the conditions of the snow, uh, it became difficult to even to do that in that first 24-hour period. Hmm. So that was something that, you know, we'll we'll look at going forward as planning around the length of the storm because typically in Newfoundland you know we get a lot of storms but they're much shorter duration you know they're 12 hours and they yeah. move on you know 8 to 12 hours but this one hung around for for a full day full 24 hours and uh, so that is definitely something that you know we'll plan in the future and the other fallout from it you know was because we had so much snow we were actually in a state of emergency in the St. John's area for, for almost a week. Right. So, so this was prior, you know, to, uh, shall we say work from home, it kind of came a, a thing mm. after COVID and with the state of emergency, uh, you know, a lot of our office employees and stuff had to, uh, were not able to come to work and, and even getting our field staff back and forth inside of the state of emergency was a challenge. So, uh, that was something that we had never experienced before. Uh, was working through a state of emergency, and especially in that period of time. So we've looked at you know things we need to do to make sure that we're able to work within states of emergency. And coming through that and COVID afterwards, you know we've all now know what work from home is and how. Yeah. Uh, I guess I can say it's easy now, but back then it didn't sound so easy. Uh, how easy that is to do, and, and that'll be part of things moving forward in these types of situations to uh, do more of that as well. Mm. It, it occurs to me that one of the things that your company can't rely on, certainly not to the same degree as as others, because the the only way to, to get to Newfoundland with a like a, a truck is by ferry. Mutual assistance it doesn't work the same way, I guess. You you can't rely on the trucks just driving down the highway from the neighboring the neighboring jurisdiction. What what does mutual assistance look like, or does does it happen at all? Yeah, that's that's a unique characteristic here as well, and. Yeah, it, it, you're right. I mean, we, we don't avail of mutual assistance very often for that reason, because, you know, it takes so long to roll trucks from somewhere else. Yeah. You know, even if you had to roll them from the maritime provinces somewhere, uh, you know, you've got to come across on a ferry, you know, 
just after a storm, the ferries could be shut down right. uh, and things like that. So typically what we have done in the past a few times, and we haven't used it a lot because we typically, you know, one thing that's unique about our territory is it is so large. So if we have a, a storm on the West Coast, we're able to send our crews from the East Coast over to assist ah. them. And if we have a storm on the East Coast, we're able to send crews from the West Coast over to assist. And as well, we have Newfoundland Hydro here on the island who can assist us as well. But we have a few times like flown in some crews from, you know, other Fortis companies like like Maritime Electric right. uh, to assist us. And I think out in uh, Fortis, Ontario as well, in Alberta, if we need it, because if the flights are available, you know, you can be here within, you know, 12 hours, shall we say. Yeah. But Throwing storm again, the airport was shut down. But that wasn't an option that was available to us, but we didn't need it. But but it wouldn't have been uh, available if we did. Yeah, you'd meant you mentioned COVID. I wanted to touch on that as well. How did Newfoundland Power pivot during the the pandemic? What are the, the sorts of things that you do to, to support uh, workers? I know you know you mentioned this work at home, but I mean it was it was a, it was a pretty significant upending of of everybody's business practices. Uh, how did it work for your company? Yeah, so it was definitely uh, something we all hadn't seen before, and and it happened. Snowmageddon happened in January of 2020, and COVID was I guess in early March or mid March. Yeah. So the two weren't very far apart from each other. Um, you know, uh, for us, you know, when you look back on it, you, somebody said, you know, if you had to move everybody and work from home, you know, tomorrow, you know, you kind of would have laughed at them and said, you know, that's not possible. There's no <laughs> way we can do that. And, yeah. uh, you know, but we, but we all managed to do it, you know. And uh, so that was a big thing for us was the, you know, we had two sides of it. So the working from home obviously relieved a lot of the problems with the office. And then it was with, was with the field staff. You know, and the biggest thing for us was making sure, you know, of the health and safety of our employees and the public. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of good guidance from public health and we followed that a lot. And we worked with a lot of the other industry people, you know, other Fortis companies and mm. CEA. Uh, IEEE companies and as well as our IBEW, our, our union here in Newfoundland. And, you know, we looked at things that we needed to do and change. And in the early days, things were changing rapidly every day, probably yeah. hours yeah. sometimes. You know, as senior management, we, we would meet every day and say, you know, what happened yesterday and what do we need to change today? And what about tomorrow? And what about next week? And that's probably about as far as we were looking in the early days. And, you know, it was a twofold thing. It was looking after people's, uh, you know, pub, their uh, their physical health, and you know, shortly it became obvious as well that this was a was a mental health issue that uh, right. was very serious that we all needed to be aware of and and make sure that we were uh, dealing with that as well. So on the <clears throat> looking after everybody's physical health, you know, we did a lot of things like. Know, staggering crews and uh, having crews start at different times at different locations. You know, some crews worked out of substations rather than everybody working out of the central depot, shall we say. Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, we went to single person in a truck, so we ended up renting yep. a number of vehicles yep. to to have the that space and distance. And, uh, you know, 
we have an occupational health nurse and an employee assistance coordinator here, and they were kept quite busy, you know, mm. helping people understand, you know, the risk of COVID and what the best practices were and things they should do and shouldn't do, and then helping them understand about vaccines and things, and uh, you know, assisting people uh, with their anxiety and things like that around, mm. you know, possibly bringing COVID into work or bringing COVID home, that types of thing. And, you know, you don't realize, you know, what people may have going on in their lives outside of work as well and, and how that may, may be affecting them. So we had to be conscious of that as well and, and making sure that we were, we were making sure we could do everything that we could for people. You know, we allowed extra time for people to uh, take time off to find childcare and things like that as well. Right. So, yeah. Uh, making sure that we could do as much as we could to help people as much as we as possible. Yeah. And I imagine like a, a lot of other companies, you're still in the process of trying to figure out what the workplace is going to look like post COVID. You know, how do we, how do we kind of harvest some of those productivity gains that we saw by having people work from home versus, you know, the advantages of being, being able to collaborate together. Are you starting to, to figure out what that's going to look like when we get past the, the pandemic? Yeah, we're uh, we're still working on it. I would say we haven't probably fully figured it out. We're we're probably a little bit more unique here in Newfoundland. A little bit more unique here in Newfoundland because we were f- we were fully back to work last September. Right. And uh, we kind of operated back to work from September to February, and then February hit, and everybody had to go home again. So we kind of had two phases of it. And right now we're probably back to about 60% and by mid-August to, to late August, we should be fully back again. Right. But yeah, we are trying to figure out what is the uh, appropriate steps, you know, and the right things to do moving forward. Uh, right now we're planning for everyone to come back to the office and look at what flexible options we can provide moving forward. And, mm. you know, maybe some ad hoc type flexibility that, you know, people need to take some time off uh, to work from home or not off to work from home, but some time to work from home, yeah. uh, you know, because they need to attend to something then we can do things like that and flexible hours and things like that. So we haven't fully landed. Uh, we're really trying to figure out where it is uh, going forward. Mm. But, you know, it is something that we're, we're, we're open to and, and definitely exploring. Right. Gary, one of the things that, that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast is uh, what their journey has been. I don't imagine that when you were a young lad uh, on the playground, you dreamed of, of running uh, uh, an electric utility company. What was your uh, journey to, uh, to your role today? Yeah, I mean, it's never a straightforward path. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've been, I graduated engineering now 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I graduated as civil engineer from Memorial here. And I guess, you know, growing up, I did have an interest in in construction and building complex types of uh, projects type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably what, what drew me to civil engineering and, and that's how I got into it. And, uh, you know, in my earlier career, I, I, I first worked for about 11 years before I came to Newfoundland Power. And, you know, I worked on the Hibernia project on heavy construction, and I worked on some design-build hydro projects in Ontario for 
about five or six years. It was for a local company here in Newfoundland. Uh, mm-hmm. Projects were in Ontario. Uh, you know, and then I, and I joined Newfoundland Power in 2002. And actually, my first two years here, I, I ended up on a succumbent to Fortis, working on a, another hydro project in central Newfoundland. Uh, and then I came back and started working in Newfoundland Power. And I spent about 10 years in the engineering, I guess, and working in the generation and substations area mainly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, moved through progressively more senior roles there. And uh, throughout that period as well, I did some uh, part-time succumbents, I guess, with Fortis again on some projects, hydro projects down in Belize. And then oh, in I Belize, did, you uh, said? In, oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. Wow. And then I did uh, uh, two years as a senior role in our T&D operations here in St. John's. Right. And then in 2014, uh, that's when I became VP of Engineering and Operations. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and in the subsequent years, for six years, I was about VP. I took on some extra responsibilities in customer service and HR, and then... Uh, Last year, in August, I became president and CEO of Newfoundland Power. So, you know, I look back on my career, I, I kind of characterize it as, you know, I, I kind of spent my first 15 years as kind of in the field, you know, construction engineer, yeah. uh, project coordination, uh, you know, coordination of, of various disciplines and things like that. And the last 15 years have probably been more office-based, uh, senior management, I guess, type of thing. So as a result, you know, I've had a, a, a great career in terms of working with a, a lot of talented people, you know, both on the tradesperson side as, as well as on the professional side. And uh, I've certainly learned a lot from uh, a lot of those people over the years and and seen a lot and, and uh, I guess built a lot over the years. Mm. Okay. So last month, Gary, CEA awarded Newfoundland Power with a sustainable mm. electricity brand designation. Wondering, you know, from from your perspective, why was this an important designation for for the company to achieve? You know, Francis, I think the key thing there is that it it shows our commitment to sustainability, right? You know, not yeah. only for today, but but into the future. And you know, our employees, I always say, and stakeholders and communities, you know, they all expect us to to act in a socially responsible way and a sustainable way. And and I I think you know that. This is a way of showing that we do that and that we are a responsible company. Uh, you know, for us, I look at it, you know, sustainability is a, is a way of thinking, it's a way of doing things. And it's, it's not, you know, something new that we decided that we needed to do. It's something that we've always been doing. And, right. and we, we said, you know, we, when we, we started looking at this a year and a half ago, uh, we said, you know, we, we pretty much got all this covered that we should go forward and, and do it because it shows that we do, we care about the environment and we care about you know, social responsibility and we're committed to it. So I think that was the biggest part for us. And, you know, our employees, you know, in their day-to-day actions are, are doing a lot of this stuff. You know, I kind of look at it, you know, we got, we were ISO 14,000 about 20 years ago. Okay. And, you know, it became very ingrained and embedded in our employees. And, you know, you could see that they take pride in doing that. Right. And the same thing with sustainability. I think it's uh, something that they're very proud of and to accomplish. And now it gives them, you know, ways to see that we can look to do things better as, as we move forward. 
can you tell us a little bit about some of the specific uh, sustainability initiatives at Newfoundland Power? Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, kind of like I just said there at the end, you know, it's always something that we're can continually looking at and reviewing and making sure we're focused in the right areas. And we will typically do that uh, at least once a year, but probably a couple of times a year to make sure that we're, we're focused in those right areas. Hmm. Uh, a couple of things that, you know, that we're working on today, this year, I should say, is uh, climate change adaptation is one that we're working on. Uh, you know, we're, we're really trying to just understand what it means and where's, where's it going and what impact may it have on us as a, as a company. And so that, you know, we can plan ahead for it rather than kind of get caught by it. And so right this year, we're kind of doing that review, you know, to look at an impact on our, you know, like say our hydro plants and, and our T and D assets and, and looking at, you know, in the future, what implications it may have. And it might not be big changes today, but I think it, you know, down the road, it'll help set us up to make sure that we're doing the right things for the future. Because, you know, if we're rebuilding something in a few years time, you know, we should be taking these things in, into consideration as, as much as possible to make sure that it's in the, the best interest of our customers and everybody. Uh, you know, we're also reviewing our, our, our clean energy our greenhouse gas emissions you know we're not a, as a company we're not a, a big emitter uh, and you know even like right now our supply does have a fair bit of uh, thermal thermal combustion uh, generation in it right. but you know when muskrat falls is fully commissioned in the next year or two right. uh, that will go away and you know we're essentially 97 percent renewable here in newfoundland after that yeah. So in terms of our, our energy supply, which is, is a pretty good place to be. But, you know, we also look at our own vehicles and we're working on a plan to transitioning to more of a, an electric fleet. Mm-hmm. And, and how do we go about doing that? Because, you know, we still have our operational requirements to make sure that uh, uh, as more vehicles become available, that they're, they're suitable to our, our operational needs, shall we say. Right. So we're reviewing that. And another big area is, uh, which we kind of touched on a little bit, is uh, promotion of electrification. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we look at electrification going forward, uh, whether it be electric vehicles or com- conversion of, of uh, buildings to, to electric, uh, there is a, a great mitigation benefit here in Newfoundland. Uh, which is a bit unique probably to what to other jurisdictions. You know, with the Muskrat Falls project, I'll probably just explain this a little bit. With the Muskrat Falls project, uh, any excess energy is, will be sold on the open market at, at market rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the more energy that we use here in Newfoundland at, at customer rates, then, you know, it's more beneficial for the electrical consumer in the long run. So for example, if people, someone converts to an electric vehicle, they will save a fair dollar on the fuel cost of that vehicle. Right. But they will spend, you know, less money to power it by electricity. Yep. So there's an overall savings in their pocket that way, as well as there's a benefit to overall, all customers in terms of the rate mitigation benefit. Oh, I see. Uh, and another area that we're, we're, uh, we're focused on is you know, promotion of uh, diversity in our trades. 
you know, we've, we've come a good way in terms of gender diversity in other areas of the company, like our board of directors and our engineering, female engineers and, and management and things like that. But like a lot of other utilities, you know, we're only in the one to two percent range on the uh, uh, gender diversity in trades. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking at other options to uh, to grow that and, you know, working with uh, women in trades organizations and other diversity groups to to look at ways that we can improve upon on that diversity there. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of you know smaller type projects that we do, but these are probably some of the bigger focuses I'd say like uh, for us this year. You know, some of the other things we you know we're well into now our LED replacement program for our street lights mm-hmm. uh, that we're working on, and you know we're looking at examples of of you know, our substations as we go forward, ways to uh, make them, our construction around them more sustainable in terms of the materials that we use by making the more digital sub versus, uh, uh, you know, the older designs. Right. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it should help us in several ways in terms of reducing the amount of materials we use, the amount of engineering time, and, and lower cost overall, which is a, which is a benefit to customers as well. What do you think the future, and maybe I'll use the 2050 timeframe because that's, you know, that, that's the timeframe a lot of folks are using with respect to, to the net zero conversation, but what do you think the future both of Newfoundland Power will look like in 2050? What's, what's the world of Newfoundland Power in 2050 look like? And what does it look like for your customers in 2050? That's, that's a good ways out. I probably yep. never really thought of that, but... You know, I would think in Newfoundland, um, you know, in terms of the grid, uh, where we are mostly renewable right now, mm-hmm. uh, I think we're set up very well there. As, as you know, demand grows in the future, you know, there, there should be other renewable options to, to continue that way. So I think that we should be able to maintain a renewable grid here between hydroelectric uh, there's other small hydroelectric developments here on the island, and we right. have a lot of wind capacity here on the island. Yeah. And, you know, it could be used for things like hydrogen production or even ah. export. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where where that goes in, in the next few decades. Uh, so I, I think in terms of the grid, I think that's where I kind of see that going. On the customer, that's a little harder to predict, you know, I think in the sense that, there's so much innovation coming in terms of uh, how customers can use electricity and all of these things mm-hmm. that it's really difficult to say what that might look like in 30 years time. But, you know, they have the use of all of this uh, renewable energy. People will by then have all electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, the electric vehicle of the day and electric vehicle in 30 years time, or yeah. I don't even know what that might be, you know? Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, the consumer will have a lot of other available options like that. And customers may, you know, get into the renewables themselves as, as the prices come down. Mm-hmm. Gary, one of the things I, I ask everybody who comes onto the podcast is about a book, a book that either you're reading or a book that you've recently read that you would recommend to the 
listener, referring to this as the as the flux capacitor book club. So if you were to add a, a book to our, our flux capacitor book club, what book would that be? Yeah, I kind of got two right now that I'm uh, I started reading. Uh-huh. Uh, one is the one I'll give you is uh, it's called Ice Walker by James Raffan. Hope I pronounced that right. R-A-F-F-A-N. And uh, he's a Canadian geographer. And I, how I found this book actually was a couple of weeks ago. I guess it was, I can't remember now if it was Global Mail or CBC. Or they were listing off, you know, 15 Canadian books to read. Okay. And uh, this one kind of drew my interest. And it's, uh, it's really about a polar bear. Oh. <laughs> Straightforward. It's about a polar bear and uh, her family and their survival in Hudson Bay. Ah. And, uh, you know, basically it looks at, you know, the challenge of surviving in the changing environment in the Hudson Bay and in the Arctic. Oh, wow. We're all familiar with, you know, uh, ice receding and everything like this. And it's, I'd call it, it's like a up close and intimate view of uh, the life of Manu, which is the name of the polar bear. And, you know, how they are surviving with the shorter hunters hunting season uh, up north. And, you know, it's amazing that, you know, they only really are out on the ice three or four months a year. Mm-hmm. hunting seal and the rest of the year they they don't really have a lot to eat they live off the they you know they live off the uh, the fact that they build up over those three or four months okay so ice walker we'll add that to the to the flux capacitor uh, book club that's great gary thank you very much for taking the time to to jump on the podcast today really appreciate the opportunity to chat to to hear some some interesting perspectives uh, from newfoundland and labrador well, Francis, thanks. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's uh, always nice to have a chat with you and uh, look forward to talking to you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. If you're interested in learning more about the Sustainable Electricity Brand designation, please contact our Vice President of Government Relations, Michael Powell, at powell at electricity.ca. Tune in for future podcasts in our Net Zero 2050 series, which includes industry, government, and stakeholder guests further discussing the implications of and the pathways to the Net Zero future. And as always, let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.